Also, thank you to our setup crew this morning who had to get up especially early to get everything ready for us. If you're on our setup crew, would you stand up? They're all out taking naps. So they're out in the, they're in the back so they can sleep. But thank you for your sacrifice and your service to our body. It is much, much appreciated. It was eight years ago, spring of 2015, and I was spiraling into a depression that would last nearly two years. I was telling somebody, a new friend, about this over coffee this week, and so it reminded me of this story, so I thought I'd use it in my introduction. Nine months earlier, Meredith and I had packed up all of our belongings, moved our three young girls out of their childhood home, and the only life they ever knew in a small college town in the middle of Ohio cornfields, and we started all over in Nashville to begin a new ministry at a large suburban church. Um, By the way, um, cargo shorts were cool back then. It was at the end of their coolness, but I'm sure they're going to come back kind of like the members-only jacket that I wore in the 80s, which is all the rage right now. But the church culture and ministry vision that I thought I had signed up for at this large church here in Tennessee left the building when the guy who hired me resigned. And I found myself anonymous at a mega church with a very unclear job description. Our kids were struggling to make new friends and adjust to their new schools. My wife, Meredith, was lonely. We all deeply missed our small town life and ministry. Nothing seemed to be going well or right, and it all seemed like I had made one huge mistake. And so I began to pray and pray and pray some more. And time passed. But circumstance didn't change. And doubts began to creep into my heart and in my mind. Did God even care? Was God even listening to me as I prayed? Had God abandoned me? Had he put me on a shelf, forgotten about me and my family? Those are the questions I was asking. How many of you have ever been in a situation where you began to ask those questions as well? Are you in a situation right now where you're asking those questions? Does God care about me? Does God hear me? Has God abandoned me? Let me see a show of hands. How many of you have ever asked a question like that in your life? Okay. Looks like almost all of us. If so, I'm confident that this passage of Scripture out of the book of Daniel that we'll be studying this morning is going to be of profound encouragement to your soul. Because Daniel was likely asking those same questions and was shown some very clear answers. So go go ahead and grab your Bibles and open them up to Daniel chapter 10 or the electronic copy on your phone. And if you've been with us in recent weeks, you know that we're going chapter by chapter through this Old Testament book in a sermon series which we've given the subtitle, The Unshakable Kingdom. Because Daniel points to an unshakable kingdom that is coming. Let's dive in together in Daniel chapter 10, starting with verse 1. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belteshazzar. And the word was true, and it was about a great conflict. And he understood the word and had understanding of the vision. So we learn here that Daniel is receiving another vision. He had one in chapter 7, a second in chapter 8, a third in chapter 9. And now Daniel is receiving a fourth vision that will extend all the way through the end of the narrative through chapter 12. So this fourth vision is a long one. So hold on to your seats. We're going to be in it for three weeks here. 
And it's about a great conflict, which we will discover is actually a, a spiritual conflict that's behind the scenes of the physical realm, behind the scenes of historical events. And we'll learn today that much more goes on in the spiritual realm than we're even aware of on a daily basis. A great conflict between the demonic and the angelic. And, and this, this chapter in Daniel is going to give us a sneak peek behind the curtain of that. Now, now, before we dive into this fourth vision, I want you to notice a couple things. First of all, the historical timing of it, because it's important to understand what's going on in Daniel's world at that time so that we know what he might be thinking, what he might be feeling as he receives this vision. We're told that this happens in the third year of King Cyrus of Persia. This would have been 537 B.C. or possibly 536 B.C. Two years earlier, if you've been with us, you already know this, two years earlier in 539 B.C., what happened? Babylon, Babylon fell to Persia. Remember the writing on the wall back in chapter 5? That happened in 539 B.C. Babylon falls as an empire. Persia is raised up. King Cyrus is on the throne, and shortly after he conquered Babylon, he issued a decree that said, okay, all you Jewish exiles, you're free to go home. All of you who've been carted off from Judah here to the former Babylonian empire, you're welcome to go. Stamp it in decree, you're free. This would have been great news for Daniel. We can finally go home, rebuild the temple, rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Go back to our homeland. But here in chapter 10, verse 1, two years after that decree in 539, did you notice the name that Daniel is still being called? What was it? Belteshazzar. That's his Babylonian name. Why is he not going by Daniel, his Hebrew name? Well, answer, he's still in exile. He did not go back to his homeland after Cyrus's decree. Well, why not? We're not told, and the best we can do is an educated guess. Perhaps he was too important of a governing official for King Cyrus to let him go. More likely, remember how old Daniel is at this point. If he was kidnapped, um, Human trafficked in 605 B.C., basically, made a eunuch. <laughs> All of that terrible stuff that happened to him happened in his teenage years in 605, and now it's 536. How old is he? You're doing the math. He's old. He's probably mid-80s, okay? So here's the other pretty obvious reason of why he would not make a 900-mile walk back to Judah. He's an old man. A 900-mile camel ride would not have been to Sunday picnic either, okay? So that's the historical context. So let's jump back into verse 2. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. So in verse 1, we were given the historical context, and now we're given the emotional context that Daniel is going through. He's in what? He's in mourning. We read here that he's fasting from his normal diet of delicacies, meat and wine. He would have had those as a high-ranking government official. And he didn't anoint himself for three weeks. In other words, he just kind of let himself go. Why? Again, 
We're not told. But we can make some educated guesses here from the context. Two years would have likely been the about, about the amount of time it would have taken to hear reports back from the Jewish exiles that had packed up all their things and gone that 900 miles back to Judah. And what these returning exiles found when they got back to the land of Judah was very discouraging. The temple was in ruins. The walls surrounding Jerusalem were also in ruins. No way to defend themselves. And on top of that bad news, there was intense opposition from the locals to rebuild. It would have been a long and difficult process of rebuilding, even if there hadn't been opposition. And these reports are starting to filter back to Daniel in Persia. And because of his position in the Persian government, he would have been privy to these reports on provincial affairs. And it's likely that these disturbing reports about his people and the difficulties that they were facing are the cause of his mourning. So although he wasn't able to personally, personally make the 900-mile journey back to his homeland, he's still able to stand in solidarity with his people. And he begins to mourn and call out to God on behalf of his people. Well, how do I know he was calling out to God? The text hasn't mentioned that yet. Well, it's about to, so hang with me. Um, also, fasting without praying is just starving yourself. All right, so... Daniel has been fasting, praying, praying, fasting, calling out to God for three entire weeks, and God is silent, at least up until this point. And in the silence, perhaps Daniel is not that much different than us. I would suggest he wasn't. Perhaps Daniel began to wonder, as we humans often do when circumstances aren't going our way. Read these out loud with me. Does God still care about me? Does God hear me? Has God abandoned me and my people? Daniel's about to get some answers to these questions. Let's read on, verse 4. On the 24th day of the first month, this is very specific, and I'll tell you the reason in a little bit. On the 24th day in the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris, so he's definitely still in what used to be the Babylonian Empire, I lifted my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Uphaz around his waist. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches. What would that have looked like? His, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. Verse 7, and I, Daniel, alone saw the vision. For the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled to hide themselves. It's kind of a, would have been a funny scene to watch, but verse 8, so I went, so I was left alone and saw this great vision, and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed, and I, regained, I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words, and I, as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in a deep sleep with my face to the ground. So Daniel does a face plant. He passes out, in other words. We aren't told why Daniel is standing on the bank of the Tigris River to begin with, but we do read here that he wasn't alone. He had some companions with him. We also know from the date given to us, the 24th day of the first month, this was an important date for Jewish people. It's Passover. It's Passover. 
The Jewish feast commemorating their deliverance by God from slavery in Egypt. A pilgrim feast that was meant to be celebrated where? Jerusalem. In the temple. So perhaps on this holiday, which Daniel couldn't celebrate in Jerusalem, with his people, he had gathered to pray with other Jewish exiles that had stayed behind. That's probably our best conjecture of what was going on here. And as he and his companions were there by the Tigris River, Daniel sees a vision of a spiritual being. Those with him don't see what Daniel sees, but they do apparently sense the overwhelming presence of this being, and they are filled with fear and run to hide, okay? The supernatural being that Daniel sees looks like a man, by his description, who's clothed in linen, which would have been the clothing that priests would wear. But it's obviously not just a man, because when Daniel tries to describe his encounter with this being, he has to stretch his vocabulary in order to to try to capture its overwhelming, majestic nature. A body like beryl. Beryl is like a green, gleaming gemstone, okay? A face with such radiance that it appears like lightning. Eyes like flaming torches. Crazy. Arms and legs like burnished bronze, which is strong metal. Okay, so maybe, maybe this guy was ripped, all right? And burnished bronze has a, a reddish brown gleam to it. A voice like the sound of a multitude. What's the sound of a multitude? Have you ever been in a stadium that's cheering and it just kind of shakes? Most likely, when this being speaks, the earth trembles. And Daniel's description of this spiritual being is very similar to John's description of the risen Jesus over in Revelation chapter 1, which has led many people, many theologians to speculate, hey, could this be what's called a theophany, a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus? But as we're about to see, the context, which we'll, we'll get to, points in a different direction. It points to this being an angel. Because in verse 13, this unnamed heavenly being recounts needing to wait to receive assistance from an apparent colleague named Michael. What do we know about Michael? Well, his name appears quite often in Scripture, and Michael is an angel. Now, when you picture an angel, what do you picture? I asked... um, I asked a friend of mine who's also an artist in our congregation, Andrew, waves at everybody. Andrew's there, there in the back. I asked him to, to give me a depiction of, of what our culture typically thinks of when they think of an angel. And if your mind immediately jumps to our, culturals, to our culture's sentimentalized depiction of angels as sweet little creatures with wings, um, chubby, playing harps, floating on clouds, take that picture, crumple it up, throw it away, because nothing could be further than the truth, okay? In the Bible, angels are never tame. They're mighty, fearsome creatures that do battle with spiritual forces of evil. So whenever you see angels interacting with humans in Scripture, guess what? It's never the angels that are told to fear not. (laughs) It's the humans. Why? Because angels are apparently frightening and overwhelming, So I asked Andrew to draw a depiction of a real angel using only the description that Daniel uses in this passage. Here's what he came up with. And we giggle at that, but that's a whole lot more accurate than the one you just saw. Marvel movies may not be that far off, okay? 
This guy was likely ripped, eyes like flames, a body of barrel, arms and legs like burnished bronze, gleaming, a terrifying, majestic creature. So that's what you need to picture when you picture an angel showing up in Scripture. And in verse 9, Daniel lets us know that he didn't have the capacity in his, as a human to take in this vision of this angel. He didn't, he, he didn't have what it took to stand up to the overwhelming majesty and presence of this angelic being. Daniel sees the angel, gets weak in the knees, and does a face plant. He passes out. Let's read on, verse 10. Angel was probably feeling sorry for him at this point. And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, Oh, Daniel, man greatly loved. Understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. When a fearsome creature tells you to stand up, what do you do? You stand up, which he did. But did you notice the first words out of this angel's mouth? Oh, Daniel, man greatly loved. Isn't that amazing? Have you ever prayed for something and not gotten it? And then your first thought, like me, is to question whether God really loves you. Daniel was human, just like us. And based on the angel's first words to him, I wonder if Daniel had been doubting God's love for him while he was mourning and fasting and praying for three weeks with no answer. And God, in his grace, sends one of his angels on special assignment to go directly to Daniel. And the first words out of this angel's mouth are what? Oh, Daniel, man greatly loved. We all need regular reminders of God's love for us, don't we? Why is that? Well, because our natural tendency, our first instinct, is to judge God based on what we know about our circumstances rather than to judge our circumstances based on what we know about God. I do that. Do you do that? We've got to reverse that order, my friends. God is abundantly good, and he loves us. That fact is made crystal clear throughout Scripture over and over and over again. God is love. God loves you. God so loved the world. God loves you. And so we need to view our circumstances, even the bad ones, in light of that bedrock truth and not the other way around. If Daniel was asking the question, does God still care about me? What was the answer that he got right here? Say it with me. Yes. Yes. To make the implication of this text more personal, does God still care about you when life isn't going well? Or as you had hoped. What's the answer? Yes, he does. Let's look at what the angel says to Daniel next with his voice that likely shook the earth. Verse 12. Then he said to me, fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. Had God been ignoring Daniel in his prayers? No. This angel makes that plain and clear that God had been listening from the very first prayer. 
God had been listening the entire time. From the first day, Daniel, your words have been heard. If Daniel was asking the question, does God hear me? What was the answer he received right here? Say it with me. Yes. Yes. So by way of application, does God hear us, his people, when we pray? Yes. You might object here and say, well, Mark, of course God is going to listen to Daniel. He's this great Old Testament prophet. A whole book of the Bible is dedicated to him. I'm not so sure God's going to listen to me. To which I would point you to the words of our Apostle John in 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 through 15. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, toward God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. So the question isn't whether or not God hears us. The question is... Are we in tune enough with what God is doing in our hearts, in our lives, through our circumstances, in our world, that we are praying prayers that are in congruence or in accordance with or in alignment with God's will? That's the question. That's why Jesus taught his disciples to pray, what? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And to pray, your kingdom come, automatically means my kingdom go. God, not my will, but yours be done. And please align my will to yours so that I know what to ask for. One of my favorite quotes about prayers from a guy named John Piper in his book about missions entitled, Let the Nations Be Glad. He writes this. Prayer is primarily a wartime walkie-talkie for the mission of the church as it advances against the powers of darkness and unbelief. It's not surprising that prayer malfunctions when we try to make it a domestic intercom to call upstairs for more comforts in the den. And everybody under the age of 30 is going, what's a domestic intercom? Well, fancy houses, before text, texting, fancy houses used to have intercom systems and where you could press a button and talk to somebody in a different room. Revolutionary technology back then, okay? Prayer malfunctions when we turn it into a domestic intercom to call upstairs for more comfort in the din. Ouch, but true. I love the imagery that Piper uses about prayer here. A wartime walkie-talkie for advancing the mission of the church against the powers of darkness and unbelief. But how often do we use prayer like that? How much more do we use it as a domestic intercom? God, please give me what I want to make my life safer and more comfortable. Quite the contrast. If you want to revitalize your prayer life and see more answered prayer, then start praying bigger, kingdom-centered prayers, gospel-advancing prayers that aren't small and self-focused. By way of application, I'd highly encourage you to start using a resource out there called Operation World. Operation World. This is a, a website that gives a daily prayer prompt um, that centers on what God is doing and how he's moving and how the gospel is advancing 
all through these different countries in the world. Each day you're praying for a different country with a synopsis of what God is doing there, the opposition to the gospel, how to pray against that opposition and for God to work. If you want to start praying bigger Kingdom Center's prayers, you can download their, their, their app on your mobile device, get daily notifications. I encourage you to do that this week. In fact, if you're uh, signed up for our text messages, you will get a link to download that app uh, via text message. That's about the time our service is over, unless I go long-winded. I think it's scheduled for 11.15. So anyway, okay, let's pick up our text where we left off as the angel continues to talk to Daniel in verse 13. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. But Michael, one of your chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision is for days yet to come. All right. So the message from this angel makes it clear that much more is going on behind the scenes of our circumstances and world events than we're even aware of. There's a spiritual battle raging between the demonic and the angelic. Apparently, this angel has been commissioned by God 21 days earlier, three weeks, right when Daniel had begun praying. But demonic opposition had delayed his arrival to Daniel, and, and this angel had to wait for help from an angelic colleague named Michael in order to get freed up to come to Daniel. We learn here that the prince of the kingdom of Persia was the name of the demonic being that was the source of the opposition. And what you need to know here is that Satan and his demonic minions are often called princes in Scripture. I know that has a positive connotation. It can have a positive connotation, but in the spiritual realm, it can also have a negative connotation. It's just showing the authority or power. And even, for, for instance, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2, Paul refers to Satan as what? The prince of the power of the air. This means that Satan has authentic power to perpetuate evil in our present world. Until Jesus comes back to defeat him once for all time, Satan still has jurisdiction here. So Daniel and us, by extension, are being given a sneak peek behind the curtain into the spiritual realm through this vision. There are spiritual powers, demonic princes, at work behind earthly kings and kingdoms. So this should serve as a stern warning to us about getting too nationalistic or too loyal to any politician or president here in America. If there was a demonic prince assigned to the empire of Persia, we can assume there's also a demonic prince assigned to America, pulling the strings behind the scenes no matter who's in charge. Yes, let's still vote. Yes, let's be good and involved citizens of America to work and influence for the good. But let's recognize that we live in an earthly kingdom that's subject to demonic influence. And our true citizenship is in heaven, in the unshakable kingdom that's yet to come. Okay, I'll get off that soapbox, come back to the text with me. Okay, let's, let's get back to the narrative. Daniel's response, verse 15. When he, the angel, had spoken to me, Daniel, according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and was mute. And behold, one in the likeness of the children of man touched my lips. 
Then I opened my mouth and spoke. I said to him who stood before me, O my Lord, by reason of the vision, pains have come upon me, and I retain no strength. How can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord? For now no strength remains in me, and no breath is left in me. The angel's powerful voice knocked the wind out of Daniel. And we're reminded that Daniel's encounter with this angelic being was totally overwhelming. Verse 18. Again, one having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, O man, greatly loved. Repetition is key in Scripture. God wants Daniel to know he's loved. O man, greatly loved. Fear not. Peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Then he said, Do you know why I have come to you? But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is inscribed in the book. There is none who contends by my side against these except Michael, your prince. Prince used in the positive connotation there. I wish I had another 30 minutes to talk about this, but I need to wrap things up. So quickly, I want to point out just a couple things in these closing verses in Daniel chapter 10. The first is that the angel mentions that after he goes, after he goes back to do battle with the demonic prince of Persia, another demonic prince is going to come on the scene called the prince of Greece. In other words, the angel is letting Daniel know that there's a train of earthly kingdoms coming before God's unshakable kingdom is established, all under demonic influences. And the next one up in the train after Persia is Greece. And if you've been with us, you already know this because Daniel's received several visions about this train of kingdoms that are depicted in various ways. But this is the first time that it's perfected prophetically, the name of this next kingdom is prophetically mentioned, Greece. And what do we know of world history? There's the Babylonian Empire, then the Medo-Persian Empire, and then who comes on the scene? Alexander the Great, and you have the empire of Greece. So this angel knows what he's talking about. Again, this is prophetic. This is even before it happened. This angel is revealing what's yet to come. Second thing I'd like to point out here is that Daniel had been talking, or if Daniel had been asking the question, Has God abandoned me? Has God abandoned me and my people? What would the answer have been that he was given by this angel? Say it with me. No. No. This very personal visit from an angelic being would have answered that question quite clearly. Do you know why I have come to you, Daniel? God has not abandoned you. God went to the trouble of commissioning an angel to be sent directly to Daniel in response to his prayer. Quite amazing. Now, perhaps you're like me and you're starting to wonder here, well, why doesn't God send an angel to me when I pray? That sure would be nice. Because if he did, I would know without a doubt that God is with me, that God has not abandoned me. Well, first of all, be careful what you wish for. Just read the text. (laughs) Was this a pleasant experience for Daniel? No, the angel totally freaked Daniel out, okay? 
um, caused him to pass out, knock the breath out of him, just with his majesty. Secondly, God has given us, New Testament believers, something far better than the occasional freaky visit from an angelic being. In contrast to Old Testament believers like Daniel, who has God sent to us? You can say it. The Holy Spirit. The third member of the Trinity to dwell in us. This is why Jesus can say to us, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And how does the Holy Spirit do his work? The Spirit of God works in concert with the Word of God to encourage the people of God that we are loved, we are heard, we are not abandoned. Say that out loud with me. We are loved, we are heard, we are not abandoned. As the worship team makes their way back to the stage, my friends, that's the message from the Spirit of God today, from God's Word. You are loved. You are heard. You are not abandoned. So no matter what you're going through right now, say this out loud with me. God loves you. God hears you. God is with you. Whatever you're facing, God is still on the throne. He, and He alone, is our hope. His unshakable kingdom is coming, and that's inevitable. It's already been foretold. And He's got you, and He's got me, in the palm of His loving hand. Take courage and pray with me. Father, thank You for Your Spirit. Thank you for your word. And thank you for the encouragement that comes to our hearts when those two things come together. Help us to be faithful in studying your word and applying its meaning and its, its message to our hearts. Lord, we need regular reminders of the gospel that even though we're far more sinful than we thought possible, we're more deeply loved than we could ever hope. You have not abandoned us. You hear us. You deeply care about us. Thank you for this reminder from your word this morning. So as we sing this closing song, may we meditate on the demonstration of your love for us in Christ and how deep your love is for us. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of our Lord and Savior Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.